well, believe it or believe it not, it's, it's just short of 12 months since we first came here to BCC. Amazing how time flies, doesn't it? And um, I really wanted to take this opportunity right at the beginning of saying a really sincere and big thank you from Barbara, my wife, and myself, and our dear friend and neighbor, Sandra. Um, you've been most kind to us and warm, and uh, we've enjoyed being with you. Um, after over 40 years in ministry, um, it's still not easy coming to a new church. Uh, walking through those doors, it's not easy. Um, but your warmth and welcome bridge the gap, and we really, really do appreciate it. Um, I was looking through my files this week, not anything to do with uh, what I'm going to do in a few moments here, but I came across a piece of paper which uh, was a joke page that I took out of a magazine when we lived in Spain. And uh, I was just sat on the floor in my study and looking at this and laughing away at some of the jokes. And I came across one, and I just have to tell you it. Is it this shouldn't go on the recording, but not, not that there's anything wrong with it. The children were lined up in the cafeteria of a Catholic elementary school for lunch. At the head of the table was a, a large pile of apples. The nun made a note and posted it on the apple tray, take only one, for God is watching. Moving further along the lunch line, the other end of the table was a large pile of chocolate chip crackers. A child had written a note, take all you want, God's watching the apples. <laughs> it just touched my sense of humor to that. <laughs> I count it a great privilege, I really do, to be asked to preach. But as usual, it's a, it's a very daunting task, a huge responsibility. I, I hope we all pray for Richard, who does the majority of preaching here, or at least he has done in the time we've been here. Uh, it's a daunting task because you're carrying, hopefully, the Word of God. Um, however, I've been giving a lot of thought, too, to what Richard's been bringing to us over the past few weeks. I was, I was really touched when he, the first week when he said, what on earth are we doing here as Christians? I thought, if he doesn't know, we have no chance. <laughs> Hopefully, I want to bring just another important aspect, or in fact, a full answer to the question. And before I start, I just want to thank a man, a ministry in America, a man called Charles Mahaney, who wrote a book, and I can't for the life of me tell you what, what it's called, but I read that book many years ago, and in it was a piece about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I wrote to him, I actually worked for, with him for a short time, but uh, I wrote to him and said, look, can I use some of that material of which he approved of? So there may be just a little bit of Mahaney coming out here. Let's have a look at Jesus. Let, let's have a look at the reading, first of all. I'm, I'm taking it from Mark's Gospel. Um, it's chapter, what chapter is it? 14. And verse 32. 
they came to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us go. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. When you read in the Gospels about Jesus and his very exciting three years of ministry, words come to you like he was authoritative. He was fearless. He was consistent. He was controlled. But there comes a moment when we see him in Gethsemane, when all that is radically changed. Suddenly we're encountering a Jesus that we're very unfamiliar with. And what we see is rather foreign, and I think quite frightening. In verse 33 it says, He became troubled and distressed. Another translation puts it like this, he began to be gripped by a shuddering terror and to be in anguish. You know, this is a crushing agony for our Savior and utterly unlike anything we have seen before. Think of it. Think of the times when he was in Galilee, there you see his hand offering one tender touch after another as he healed sickness and forgave sin. We see his strong arms outstretched with power as he cast out demons and raised the dead. We see him on one occasion seated in a, a little fishing boat, speaking to the vast crowds on the sh- shoreside who were astounded at his incredible teaching. Remember when he was with the three disciples up the mountainside? And his face and his form were wondrously transfigured in supernatural light. And then, of course, you have the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, indicating his compassion for the people. And then in the crowded temple courts, he confronted 
the religious establishment with their hypocrisy, and he, he did it without intimidation. Consistently, he was bold, he was brave, and he was calm. But now in Gethsemane, we see sheer torment overtaking him. And he turns to Peter, James, and John and tells them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is very real. It's not pretense stuff. This is a very real situation. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I believe that the sorrow in our Savior's soul at this moment in time is so powerful and pronounced that he actually draws near to dying several hours before facing the torture of the cross. Jesus, after urging his disciples to be watchful, goes a short distance beyond, and it says in verse 35, he falls to the ground. And what we're seeing here is a Jesus being more vulnerable, more human, than we've seen him before. And we have to ask the question, why? Why this shuddering terror, this staggering destruction? Earlier in the evening, there'd been no apparent indication of such anguish. He'd been with his disciples, he'd shared a meal with them, he led them in singing a hymn. It's true he was troubled in his spirit in the upper room when he shared about his betrayal but there was nothing to indicate what we now find in Gethsemane Jesus was not surprised by death's approach he long ago determined to bear God's judgment for our sin by being our substitute and for months he discussed his death with his disciples repeatedly so nothing really prepares us for this now abrupt horror. Excuse me. We must realize that Gethsemane is the place where our Savior is beginning to confront, as never before, the ultimate and deepest agony of Calvary. An agony that will go far beyond any physical aspects of his suffering. Gethsemane represents the beginning of the unprecedented suffering of wrath and abandonment that Jesus will bear on our behalf. And what really goes on here is far beyond our ability to fully comprehend. We need some divine assistance to be able to take it all in and to absorb deeply what bearing our sins meant to Jesus. As Jesus lies prostrate on the ground, he cries, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this cup 
yet not what I will, but what you will. In another gospel, in Luke's gospel, it says Jesus prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. But when you look here, his words reveal in part the answer to the question, why? He says, remove this cup from me. What is the cup? Clearly it's a reference to the wrath of God. For your sins are mine. If you were to look in the Old Testament and you go to Isaiah 51, it talks about the cup being the cup of terror. This cup that Jesus is looking into, as it were, contains the full vehemence and fierceness of God's holy wrath. God's holy wrath poured out for the sins of the world. The amazing thing is this. It's your cup and it's my cup. No, no wonder when Jesus stares into this detestable cup, he falls to the ground. Once he left his disciples and he walked away, he's looking into this cup. This is a thing that's taken over in him and he falls to the ground. Jesus is brought face to face with this terrible reality of bearing our sins and becoming the object of God's full and furious wrath. What he recalls, he recalls, what he recalls from here is not an anticipation of the physical pain associated with the crucifixion, but it's a pain which is infinitely greater. The agony of bearing your sin. I'm so glad we sang your song this morning. I'm so glad Amanda came out and gave that word. Knowing from the hour for his death is fast approaching. Jesus has come to the Garden of Gethsemane in need as never before of his father's comfort and strength. But instead, he's facing hell. And he's facing utter separation from God his father. That's what's being thrust in his face. He cries out, is there an alternative? In effect, he's saying, if there were a way the cup 
could pass from him would his father please provide it answer silence Jesus receives no answer to his plea the second time he pleads and the second time he's met with silence please ask yourself let's just pause just for a moment and ask yourself why why the answer lies in the word that Amanda brought for God so loved the world that he gave his love only son this is what it means bearing our sins this is what it means to Jesus at the distress of his soul he confronts total abandonment and absolute wrath from his father Gethsemane represents our Savior's darkest hour. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Listen again to the precious and powerful words he repeats to his Father. Not my will, but you will. This is so amazing. Not only will he leave nothing in the cup of wrath for us to drink, but also our Savior provides us with another cup. It's called the cup of salvation. And we can only drink from this cup, only drink from it, because Jesus spoke those amazing words, not my words but yours be now. That's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we put our arms up. That's why we get excited about it. Not my will, but yours be done. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't comprehend you all. I've tried. We can't understand the incredible torment he went through, but we can recognize his incredible love and that he saved us from darkness and brought us into his wonderful light what on earth are we doing here as Christians I think the most important thing we're here for as Christians is to be lovers of God. And it reminds me of the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. To love Him in our thinking, 
to love him in our speaking, to love him in our doing. Then the kingdom comes alive. That's why we're here. We're here to sing about what our wonderful Jesus has done for us. No wonder the Apostle Paul said this. May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ to which the world is being crucified to me and I to you. I'm going to break bread in a few minutes. I think it's a very appropriate time for us to break bread. To remember with thanksgiving in our heart and to recommit our lives to during the week, Barbara, Sandra, and myself were meeting. We meet every Tuesday and Thursday, um, some Bible study and whatnot. And Barbara just shared a poem that she'd written years ago, I think. I'd never heard it before. Uh, but it just seemed to fit in so well. So, Barbara, would you just come and. Uh, it's only a brief one, so. And then I'll have no other forms written. <coughs> What love? What love is this? I cannot understand. What love is this? Demanding no reward. What love is this? It is so freely given. This is your love for me. What love is this? So patient, so kind. What love is this so gentle, yet so strong? What love is this that never, never fails? This is your love my Lord. Oh, Jesus, that my love for you could be as strong and faithful as your love for me. Lord, take my heart, for it belongs to you. Oh, how could I not love you when you love me like you do? What love is this that endures scourge and lash? What love is this that gives its very life? What love is this that in the face of death cries out, Forgive her, Father, I have paid the price. 